Good morning, church. Please stand. Lord, we're so thankful for everything you've done in our lives, that you are faithful in every season of our lives and everything that we encounter, that you're there with us, Lord. And we come before you today. We enter your gates with thanksgiving and praise. Open to whatever you would have for us.
Blessed be God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be the kingdom, now and forever. Amen. Almighty God, you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And as we prepare to celebrate the mystery of Christ's love, let us acknowledge our sins and ask the Lord for pardon and strength. Please kneel. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and by what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbors as myself. I am truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord grant you absolution, remission of all your sins, true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and consolation of his Holy Spirit. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy.
I see my reflection 
together. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Children? Him great warriors in your kingdom. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning. Our first reading comes from the book Malachi, chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. 
for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat and full like salt-fed cats. The word of the Lord. This morning's psalm is Psalm 98. Please read responsively at the asterisk. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. With his righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sound of a song. With trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the rivers clap their hands. For he is coming to judge the earth. With righteousness he shall judge the world and the people. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This morning's second reading comes from the book of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. For we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly, and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. 
the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Glory be to thee, O Lord. St. Luke, chapter 20, beginning at verse 39. Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. And Jesus said to them, How can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now David himself said in the book of the Psalms, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. The gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, Lord Christ. You hear me? Uh, we, as the uh, men of the diocese, went up uh, this weekend into the mountains, uh, the lovely Christian retreat center, and uh, met together before the Lord. It was a, just a tremendous outpouring. And uh, I uh, saw... Many, many, in fact, I, I asked yesterday morning, is there anybody here who felt like their life wasn't changed? And you don't usually get those kind of emotional responses from men. Right? You women know that, particularly wives. But uh, to a man, everybody there really, really testified how God had come and met with us. And uh, we're in a perfect place. We seem to be in favor with the Lord, and uh, I just really want to encourage you as we enter these seasons of festival and preparation for the uh, celebration of the birth of Christ, 
that uh, you enthusiastically just pour yourself into it because you're going to really be blessed, and you're going to bless many, many others too. And uh, for those of you who are working in our food ministries and some of the other ministries that we have around the church, uh, I want to just encourage you to keep doing that. And God loves the giver. And those who give themselves and do the good deeds, he's, uh, he's really blessed with, and he will reward you heartily for it. Well, we're going to continue in uh, this series that uh, Jesse's bringing us, and uh, I hope that uh, you may even want to keep notes in this, because it's a marvelous, marvelous uh, uh, teaching that he's bringing us, and it's going to require several weeks, and uh, what do you figure? We'll, We'll get through it. It's about six lessons, and so it'll take about eight, nine weeks or something like that. We're going to just take it little by little and really make an effort to digest it. It's a life-changing teaching. Amen? Let's open with a prayer. I promise it'll be short. I did hear the gospel about the long prayers. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to dig into your word and to learn what you have to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to sum up. I told Bishop I was joking. I was like, I'm going to preach all the sermons from the men's retreat, then I'll preach about Exodus. But no, I'm not going to do that this morning. It might take a little too long. But I've got two sentences. Uh, one of them is a run-on sentence. I just want all of our grammar people to know. But that will give you a picture of everything we learned at the men's retreat. Number one is this. It's a great quote from The Princess Bride. It wasn't quite said, but this is the, the idea was spoken several times. We are men of action. Lies do not become us. And number two, we were told to focus. Let go of anything holding you back. Become free through submission to God's purposes. Because God wants to break time in our life so we can be renewed in the purposes and the potentials in the kingdom of God every day. And finally, as we're told every men's retreat, be a man, build your family, and save the world. Amen? Okay, great. It was quite good. I have that written in my notes. It was quite good. It was an awesome men's retreat. And that, those concepts were what was taught, but the Holy Spirit's ministry is what was done right? We learned, but we also were transformed through the learning, through the prayers, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So as we listen this morning to this idea of Exodus, right, we're told that the Bible has that power in our life. And as we study these scriptures, it has the power to transform us. So I hope that this morning, this sermon doesn't just teach you something about Exodus, but it actually changes the way that you live your life. And even as you're listening, you can actually put yourself into a posture where you're looking for ways that God might be transforming you. So I just invite you this morning not just to learn, but to open your heart to what the Holy Spirit's doing. We've already heard him in our worship, which was so powerful. We will talk about him. We've had him in our scriptures. We'll talk about him in this service. And then we'll have him in the Eucharist. So there's many opportunities for you to experience the presence of God. So I just invite you to think that way. This isn't just another sermon, but an opportunity for God to move in our life. Amen? Okay, we're going to jump in to Exodus, and we've kind of gone through this journey, and today God does 
what he's intended to do the entire time. You may not have known this, but the entirety of Exodus was taking this people who God had chosen, who had forgotten him in their slavery in Egypt. Taking them, introducing himself to them again, giving them his name, Yahweh, and teaching them who he was as he saved them out of the hand of the tyrant, out of slavery in Egypt by his mighty power. Then he taught them on the way to Mount Sinai that not only did he save them, but every need that they had, every need that they encountered, he would be their provision. It wasn't just like we often do as Christians. I was saved, and now I've got to go work to earn my salvation. It's not how it works. In fact, you were saved, and you're being saved in every situation. So he's teaching them as they go through and they get the water from the rock, the manna from heaven. All of these stories are bringing them to Mount Sinai, where God is going to show up. It has been told, you will worship me on the mountain of the Lord. And so during this time on Mount Sinai, we did the Ten Commandments. So then God had to tell them, okay, if you're going to be my people, this is how you're going to live. And he's leading them, guiding them, testing them, shaping them so that he can live with them. Ultimately, that's the goal. God wants to dwell with his people. And then eventually, he doesn't just want to dwell with them here. He wants to dwell with them in the promised land forever and ever. But today, we get to talk about God dwelling with his people. So we're going to learn a little bit about the tabernacle and the ark. And today, we're going to talk through, we're not going to go through, there's 16 chapters dedicated to building the tabernacle and the ark. You think God cared about this? I mean, we've only gone 25 chapters. If, now, almost a third, if not more, of Exodus is about just building this ark and this tabernacle. So there's something God wants to tell us. And we're just going to take a couple of snippets here so you can get the idea of what's going on. We'll start in Exodus chapter 25, verse 1. Yahweh said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twisted linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for settings, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So what's going on here? God wants them to make a place where he can come and dwell among his people. And not only that, he wants to make it a place that they can pack up and take with them. He's making them a tent. All of this is to be transported so that he will walk with them everywhere they go. This is the intention here. Now, if you show up with your contribution on Sunday with goat's hair, we're not going to accept it here, just so you know. We will uh, kindly put it to the side. But there is a parallel between what God is asking these people to contribute out of their wealth to the household of God. God's purposes have been the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
He's teaching his people that the way the house of God is built is by all of us coming together as living stones built into the house of God, symbolized by their earthly contributions, right? It's not because God wants money. He's got plenty. He has everything he will ever need. It's because he wants us to learn how to come together and form the house of God. And so he's teaching his people. Now, I'm a part of this Facebook group. It's called Christian Lord of the Rings Memes. And if you didn't know I was a nerd before, you know I'm a nerd now. Um, Yeah, right. It was pretty obvious. Uh, So they had this picture the other day that really rubbed me the wrong way. They had a picture of the Pope sensing the altar. And he had the golden chalice and the golden ciboriums. And he had the golden lampstands and the golden thurible and this beautiful display of worship. And they put underneath it a quote from The Hobbit where it said, the love of gold had corrupted them or something to that effect. And there was this rant from this group about how the Roman Catholic Church's uh, beautiful cathedrals and art and elements were a love of gold. Which, first of all, doesn't make any sense. Because every single thing on that table in that picture was set aside, not for their sake, but for God's. They can't use that. They can't sell that. It's been set apart for God's use, right? So, either way. But I also think that there's something that we need to learn from this example. Especially as we talk about this tabernacle, that God's specifically designing it with luxurious materials because there's a point to it. So there's two things going on when we look at these situations, when we look at this luxury, this lavish display, something in even our hearts, even though I know that the beautiful worship of God is a good thing. Something in our hearts when we see abundant wealth finds easy ways to criticize it. In fact, when you look at wealthy people, generally, or if I say rich people, generally you get a negative picture in your head, don't you? I don't know, maybe it's just me. But you start thinking of like corrupt individuals. Almost cartoon villains, right? It's like they're just like, oh, the rich, the wealthy, the 1%. The people who have and so I have not and they have and there's problems. I think there's a reason why we think that way, especially in the Christian church, especially in the Protestant Christian church, right? Jesus was constantly teaching in ways that may have misled us about wealth if we allow them to, if we don't see them in their proper context. We get the teachings of Jesus that confront the idea that wealth is a sign of God's favor. What does Jesus say? It's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. We take that and we think, oh, so we shouldn't be rich. That's not Jesus' point there. Jesus' point is your wealth counts for nothing when it comes to the kingdom, and it can be a massive stumbling block. When it comes to envy, because we're tempted to worship that which we have or that which we want. And so Jesus not only says that, but he also talks about uh, the love of money and the corruption that can come from that. And we're told, right, the love of money is the root of all evil. Even that Tolkien quote I was talking about, the love of gold had corrupted them, talking about the dwarves uh, in his famous story. 
But none of those things are a condemnation of wealth as such. It's actually a condemnation of our heart towards wealth. And even if you read the Bible carefully, you'll see that there's this scripture in 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. I actually really like this scripture here. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Not only does God not despise wealth the way that we might sometimes, but he wants us to have prosperous lives and to have health and have spiritual prosperity. I'm liking this God. He wa- he's for me, right? He's not against me. Now, there's a little bit of a bad taste in people's mouths when you use that word prosper from the pulpit. People think of this thing called the prosperity gospel, right? And people are very scared of the prosperity gospel because rightfully, it is wrong. You know that God's will in your life is not centered on you getting a Corvette? It's also not centered on you living a life of health like an Olympic athlete for the rest of your days. It's also not centered on you having a house. But he wants us to have all good things, right? But the center of his message is you die and I raise you to new life so you can look like me. That's the center of his message. You die with him in the cross, with him in baptism. You lay down your life. You lay down the things that might be holding you back. And then he raises you to new life so you can be like Jesus. And believe it or not, you can do that and get a Corvette. It can happen. But if you focus on the Corvette, you're going to miss the Jesus. And so the point of Jesus criticizing the wealthy was they were focused on the things of this world, excluding the things of eternity. He was changing our focus, not telling us to criticize wealth and abundance and beauty. In fact, maybe you look at that picture of the Pope with those golden implements, and this was rampant on that Facebook page, and they said, well, why didn't they use that money to feed the poor? Why didn't they use that money to take care of the needy? And Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, says, exactly. Do you remember that story? The woman comes and she breaks this costly perfume in her worship of Jesus, and Judas goes, why didn't they use that money for the poor? And Jesus rebukes him and says, everywhere the gospel is preached, this girl's act is going to be talked about. This woman's act of costly worship will be talked about. It turns out God wants beautiful, costly worship. And we see that in the detail and the intricacies of his tabernacle. And in fact, beautiful, costly worship is evidence to the world of who God is. So when we look at these things, we got to remember a quote from Fyodor Dostoevsky, right? Really great Russian writer. He says, beauty will save the world. Well, actually, he said, mir spoisit kasota. He's Russian. That's what it, I looked up how to pronounce it. That's pretty close as far as I can tell. But it sounds better in English. Beauty will save the world. What does he mean? All goodness, all truth, and all beauty points to God. And when you have a hard heart, show them a beautiful painting. 
Something is triggered in us when we see beauty, when we hear beauty in music, when we see it expressed. Something calls to us. And his point in that particular book was that, yes, the world has become cynical. Yes, the world has become atheistic. But man, if you, if you woo them with beauty, if you lure them into the presence of God with the beauty of your sacrifice, your worship, your art, your craftsmanship, all of these things will lure people towards the worship of God. It will open their hearts and minds to hearing the truth and the goodness of God. That's all I have time to say about that. But as we read through this and you think, like, why did God care about having this tapestry this particular length and having this piece of wood cut in this particular fashion? Because excellence and beauty is embedded in God's nature. He never asks us for anything less than excellence and beauty. Okay. Let's keep going. There's more to that, but we're, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that later. The next thing I want to talk about is who builds this crazy tabernacle that God has put forward? Who builds the Ark of the Covenant? I almost had some stuff about Indiana Jones, but we just don't have time to go there, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark, great time. Um, this is the first instance in the Bible, this verse I'm about to read, where God says, I have filled this person with the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. You, you know that like Pentecost and that whole thing that we believe is charismatic, that you get filled with the Holy Spirit and you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the thing that God gave to the church, he gave it to this guy first. Now, there are instances of other people who walk with the Spirit, but this is the first time that we hear God say, I have filled this person with the Holy Spirit. And who is it? Is it a prophet? Is it an apostle? Is it Moses, Joseph, Abraham? Is it one of those people? No, 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 no. It's a craftsman. It's a lay person, let's say, who is excellent at his work. Let's talk about this here. In Genesis 31, verse 3. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. This is so cool. Because what this means is that the Holy Spirit isn't for when I preach. It is. Yes, Holy Spirit's here. But it's also for when you sell AC units, Thomas. When you, Brian, serve as a Marine. When all of these people in this room go into their daily lives, that's what the Holy Spirit is for. That you might be excellent in everything you do. And by being excellent in everything you do, don't you think people are going to be amazed and look to God? That's what we see throughout the whole Bible. What did the Queen of Sheba say when she came to visit Solomon? in his glory and in his temple. She said, I was convinced of the reality of God because the stone steps were cut so perfectly. That's a weird thing for her to say. She comes into Solomon, the wisest man in all of history, and she says, walking up those steps, I knew God must be here because that was so beautifully carved. That's pretty darn crazy. Did you know that the leaders of the church, the, the missionaries, the pastors, all of us, our job is to help you be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can go build the kingdom. 
We are part of building the kingdom. Absolutely. Crucial part. Yes, God set us up. But you're the ones who are going out and building the kingdom in the world. This is all about you and me, but you too. Okay, so we've got this craftsman, and he's in charge of other craftsmen, and they make this beautiful tabernacle, and they have to make an ark. So let's jump into this Ark of the Covenant. Exodus chapter 25, verse 10. They shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. I told you, he gets real specific about these measurements. A cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside you shall overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark and they shall not be taken from it. You shall put it, put into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. Okay, there's a lot there. We're just going to talk about some of the stuff that's going on. And we'll put up a picture of an artist's rendition of the ark that you guys can look at as we kind of talk about some of these elements. First of all, what does the ark contain? He says, we'll put my testimony in it. What does it contain? Well, it contains three things that, can, that God considers his testimony. It contains the tablets of stone, which we haven't even talked about yet. We'll talk about those another time. The ones on which God wrote the Ten Commandments, and then Moses broke them, and so then Moses had to write the Ten Commandments again. Fun story. Then he put in this staff that was Aaron's staff. And that's a whole other story that we don't even get to get to in this series, but God proved his authority with the staff of Aaron by making it sprout buds and ripe almonds. So he put that in there. And then there's one other thing in the uh, Ark of the Covenant at this time. And it's the manna that God had served them with, the bread of life. So it's God's commandments, his authority, and his presence. As represented by the manna, which Jesus says, I am the true manna that comes down from heaven. So we're talking the presence of God is in this thing. The authority of God, the will of God is in this ark. So maybe it's kind of important how God wanted it to be made. Let's look at a couple of things, a couple of the symbols. And there's quite literally, I know you guys don't believe me sometimes, but there are quite literally books written about the two and a half cubits by this many cubits and then they did this and that and the other thing we are not going into that type of detail i'm pulling a couple things that are extremely insightful about what's going on in this art first of all let's talk about the four rings of gold that were for the transportation of the ark you can see them up there they put the poles through them what's the rings of gold represent well we're told they represent the four corners of the earth, and the four gospels that come through Jesus Christ. Now let's pause for a second here, right? I thought we were in the Old Testament. Where are the four gospels? They weren't even written yet. Yeah, but you know, God designed this thing, and God himself is outside of time. And Jesus told us all of that stuff pointed to me. The Moses, the law, the prophets, all of that. We'll even have a verse about it coming up here in a second. But think about this. The four rings were for transporting the presence of God, the authority of God, and the commandments of God to the world. 
What did the gospel do? When the gospel is preached, the authority of God, the commands of God, and the presence of God go to the whole world. That's actually part of our job as the church. I don't know if you know that. It's to spread the gospel to the four corners of the earth. And we see that foreshadowed. We see a type of that in the design of the ark. And then we talk about the mercy seat. And this is that space between the two cherubim as they look forward. That empty space there is called the mercy seat. So we're going to read a little bit of Exodus here so you can get an idea of what this is. In Exodus, beginning in chapter 25, verse 17. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work you shall make them, on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on the one end, and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat you shall make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Sorry, a lot of words there. What's going on in the mercy seat is this is the special place for the presence of God emanates from the ark in his words from the mercy seat right? I will give you in commandment. I will speak with you about all that I will command you from the mercy seat. And then we've got the cherubim, which maybe you think of the Hallmark cards and the little naked babies with the little wings. Like that's not what they're talking about here, right? They're talking about, well, let's say the the, the word cherubim itself actually means fullness of knowledge, fullness of knowledge. And the two cherubim face the mercy seat. And they signify, we're told, the Old and the New Testament. The revelation of God's mercy is signified by the Old and the New Testament. So if you imagine the Old and the New Testament looking towards the mercy seat. So the center of everything that we read, everything that we do, is mercy. God's revelation to us in the Old and New Testament is mercy. Typified in Jesus Christ, the mercy of God made flesh. The love of God made flesh. So if you read anything in the Old and the New Testament that doesn't bring you to the mercy seat, but makes you angry at your neighbor for being a heathen, or makes you angry at yourself for being a sinner, then reread that with the light of Christ. Because both Testaments face Jesus and talk about Jesus. Now, absolutely, Jesus is the truth. Jesus comes in the revelations with a sword coming out of his mouth because he divides and judges. Absolutely, that's important. But remember, the center of all these things, mercy triumphs over judgment. And the center is Jesus Christ. The fullness of knowledge of God, the cherubim, are revealed in the Old and New Testaments and culminate in the person of Jesus. Even in the Ark of the Covenant, before any of that happened, God was prefiguring all of this. Now let's talk a little bit about acacia wood. I wanted to talk about this partially because my wife's sister just had a baby and named him Acacia. And I was like, that's so cool. They're not really avid Christians. I think they believe in God. I'm not quite sure. But they named their 
child, acacia. What is acacia about? Well, acacia wood was present there. It's very strong and dense. It's resistant to moisture and pests. Kind of like those benches we put out there, right? We've got the ipe wood. It's like iron wood. That stuff is strong. It'll last forever. Acacia is not quite at that level, but it's similar, right? Similar idea. You'd want to build with this because it would last even in the desert, the harsh conditions of the desert. And the Egyptians, even because of those properties, used acacia wood to symbolize the immortality of the soul. And it was also the only tree in the area that they could have built it out of. So I think all of that other stuff matters, but I also want to acknowledge that it was like the only thing they had, and God knew that. But isn't it cool that God uses the stuff you have to reveal himself and to provide in your life? He doesn't have to just like miraculously give you gold to make everything out of. He's like, no, that wood is special. I've led you to the things you have in your life. You look around, you're like, all I've got is acacia wood. He goes, yeah, it symbolizes the immortality of the soul. It symbolizes, it's dense, it's the perfect stuff to make the things that I want you to make with. One more thing about acacia that's important. It's, the, it's a thorny tree. You have to remove all those thorns. And we're pretty darn sure that acacia wood is the crown of thorns on Jesus' head. It's the only thorny plant that they would have used for that purpose. So the tabernacle itself is built out of the same wood that crowns our Lord Jesus' head as he dies for us. There's a lot of stuff going on in here. Like I said, we could go deep, 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 but we're just going to keep on going because there's something that we have to get to. This is actually just the tabernacle and the ark, the prefiguring of what's coming. So let's get to what's coming because we are privileged to live in the New Testament age where Jesus has come and has revealed himself to us. We're going to talk about the dwelling of God with men. So what is the purpose of this tabernacle and this ark? It's summarized in Exodus 29, verse 44 through 46. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priest. I will dwell among my people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am Yahweh, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh, their God. God is establishing himself as dwelling with this people and claiming them as his own. So let's scoot forward a little bit in history. Let's go to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We'll pause right there. That word dwelt is the same word that God uses when he says, I will be in this tabernacle and dwell among them. John is calling forth that same image. And then the glory of God. How does God consecrate the tabernacle when it's built? They see the glory of God fall upon that place. There's a direct reference to Jesus in this, right? So you're like, well, I don't have a tabernacle to go worship at. No, 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 no. God wasn't done there. He had a bigger idea. This was just the beginning. He was starting something that culminates in Jesus Christ, and it goes further. So let's read uh, verse 16 here. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Once again, what was in the covenant or what was in the Ark of the Covenant? 
It was the tablets of stone, the law given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now that's maybe one of the most confusing sentences in the entire Bible. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. What does that mean? John's making it very clear. No one's ever seen God the Father, but God the Son, that's what he means by the God that's at God's side. That's what that all means. Like the God who is a part of God at his side. God the Son has made God the Father known. So the Israelites get the glory of God in the tabernacle, and we get Jesus, the face of God on earth. That's what it was all leading us to. And Colossians follows up, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God's plan is to get us out of Egypt, to break us free from slavery, to teach us how to be his people, to live like him, and to dwell among us. And by doing so, he wants to not only lead us to the promised land, he wants to make the whole world the promised land. Because each of us gets to carry that God with us everywhere we go. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You see the same symbols there. The glory of God. Your body's a temple. What's the temple? It's the second, it's tabernacle 2.0. Now we are tabernacle, I guess, 4.0, right? Jesus is 3, I don't know. You can talk about it however you want, but you are now the presence of God in the world. That is ridiculous. I don't feel like the presence of God in the world. I feel like a man struggling to be a father, struggling to be a husband, struggling to work, struggling to preach, struggling, 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 struggling. And yet, by the grace of God, in my weakness... He makes himself known to the entire world. That's the whole point. That's why we're reading Exodus. Because it's about them, but it's really about us too. And when you realize that, that God is walking with you day by day, providing you food and water, providing you everything you need, teaching you to love like he loves, to be like he is, and indwelling you with his presence so that the whole world can become the promised land. I felt like I got a word this retreat that I didn't share at the retreat, but I think it's for our church. God is raising the water table for our church. The water table is like the stuff that sits below the surface. And when it raises, destruction happens, right? Buildings fall down. Because when the water table raises up, the soil gets saturated with water and things fall to the ground. It's not good, actually. So I don't know why. I didn't even know what the water table was when I got this word. But I looked it up. It can bring destruction, but I think what God wants us to know is that he's tearing down those things in our life that are holding us back, the things we built on the sand, the things that are not going to last the storm. And then the foundation will actually be the Spirit of God as it rises in this place. Water has always been a picture of God's life, God's Spirit. And he wants us to tap in. The water table is so high right now. All you have to do is reach down, and it's right there. You don't have to dig for a well anymore. It's right there. So reach down. 
He wants you to prophesy. He wants you to pray for healing. He wants you to do the things that He gave us as the church to do. Because He wants us to manifest His presence to all peoples. But the only way we can begin is with manifesting His presence to one another. That's the starting spot. And then we continue and we continue and we build one another up in love and we rise into the full maturity of Christ and the world gets saved. Not by our power, but by the Spirit within us. Amen? So as we close out today, I just want you to think about the tabernacle and the ark as beautiful historical evidences of God's presence with His people and as the person that you hug on the way out of church or the person that maybe you don't like so much in our church. They equally qualify as the, pre, the container, the temple, the tabernacle of the most high God. And that's a pretty high calling for us too. Because now you've got to live like you believe that. Do you believe that you actually have the spirit of God within you? The spirit that raised him from the dead? Let's live like it. We are men of action. Lies do not become us. That applies equally for the women in this room. Amen? Amen. Tree. It was used in the ancient church. You had these magnificent teachers who took care of magnificent teachers. And then we would gauge it to the truth we know, that hmm. which we believe. And as you'll see, he is straight Abraham. I believe in one God, the Father, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ. The only Son of God, begotten of His Father before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made. He of one substance with the Father, who by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made man. And was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken to the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. ...to the Father in interceding for us. Therefore, let us join in... Let us join in by bringing our needs and the needs of the whole world before the Father of us all. That the church will faithfully live out its God-given ministry of reconciliation within itself and without to a lost and dying world. Lord, in your mercy. That God will provide apostles, prophets, evangelists, 
pastors and teachers for equipping the saints in every generation. Lord, in your mercy, that governments will enact and enforce laws protecting the most vulnerable in society, the poor, the powerless, and the unborn. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer that our schools and universities will be centers for sound learning and for the pursuit of wisdom, teaching Jesus to be the source of all truth. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer, that we, like the widow of the gospel, will surrender all for the furthering of God's kingdom. Lord, in your mercy, that we will not grow weary in doing good and knowing that in due time we will receive our reward. Lord, in your mercy, that we will be good stewards of God's creation. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, as we wait joyful expectation for the coming of your Son, hear our prayer. Give us the grace to remain faithful till the end. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. With your spirit. Turn and greet your neighbor with the peace. Well, as Bishop said, any uh, any sound? Can you guys hear me? Can you guys hear me? As Bishop said, we're entering a well. We've already entered holiday season, but uh, we've got a lot of things going on. One is our annual men's meeting where we talk about the affair, the state of the church, and that will be on Thanksgiving Eve. At 7 p.m., that's uh, next Wednesday, not a week coming, a week from this Wednesday, excuse me, uh, November 23rd. And if you have any questions, contact Father Lewis. He's right there, and he will answer any questions you might have regarding that. There is a ladies' cookie exchange. That's the one I want to be in on right there, the ladies' cookie exchange. Uh, Christmas cookie exchange on December 3rd, 10 a.m., um, and contact Mia Harris, and she's right there, or Debbie Powell, who's right behind her, and uh, they'll be glad to help you out with that. And we have a youth retreat coming up, a winter youth retreat, February 2nd through the 4th, and contact Thomas Batterson right there over there, and he'll get you guys hooked up for that. Um, again, we are asking uh, for people to come out to help with our Food ministry on Mondays uh, from 3.30 till about 5. And then we are having a couple of events regarding the food ministry. One is uh, we do our annual Viking uh, turkey, our thanks, uh, excuse me, Christmas boxes. I'll inform you when that's coming up, but it's about, I think, the 19th. Of, uh, it's a Sunday. Sorry, Bishop. I take a few people away on that day. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, and the other one is the gift, of, the spark of love. Um, it's the it took the place of toys for tots. So spark of love is for toys for kids who are less fortunate. So I think Shannon Powers has information on that. So you can go see her and she'll help you. Because uh, I don't know the date for that one, but she does. So she can take care of that for you. Any other announcements, Bishop? Uh, Father Lewis, any announcements? Okay, let's uh, continue. As we prepare to receive the body and blood of Christ in the Eucharist, let us respond to God's word by engaging with him in musical worship and presenting to God our tithes and offerings out of that which God has given to us. Together, through Christ, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, but do not neglect to do good, but share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God.
We're going to let Katie off for a very short time. <laughs> and we're going to pray for her. And we're going to pray for her compadre in crime there. All three of these girls are incredible worship leaders. And you put them together, and uh, I'll tell you, they take you right to the Lord. Amen. We welcome all baptized believers to receive the body and blood of Christ. This is the table of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love Him and for those who want to love Him more. Come if you have much faith. Come if you have little. Come if you've been here often. Come if you haven't been here long. You who've tried to follow, you who fail, you come. Because it's the Lord who invites you. It's his will that those who want him should meet him here. You come to the table. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let's give thanks to the Lord our God. (laughs) Father, all-powerful and ever-living God, we do well always and everywhere to give you thanks. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his cross and resurrection, he freed us from sin and death, and called us to the glory that's made us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people set apart. Everywhere we proclaim your mighty works, for you call us out of darkness in your own wonderful light. And so with all the choir of angels in heaven, we proclaim your glory, and we join in their unending hymn of praise. Start that over. Why not? I think the pads are too. these gifts to make them holy so they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he's given up to death a death he freely accepted. He took bread and gave you thanks. 
he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When supper was over, he took the cup again. He gave thanks and praise. He gave it to them and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let us proclaim this mystery of faith. Christ Christ has died. died. Christ Christ is is risen. And Christ Christ will come come again. In memory of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Father, this life-giving bread and saving cup. We thank you for counting us worthy to stand in your presence and to serve you. May all of us who share in the body and blood of Jesus be brought together in unity by the Holy Spirit. Lord, remember your church throughout the world and make us grow in love, together with our patriarch, Craig, and all of the clergy. Remember those who are sick or infirmed in spirit, soul, or body. We hold up this day Susan, Naomi, and Sonia, and Sandra, Tammy, and Denisha, and Daniel, Catherine, and Phil, and Lori, the Barrettes, Sissy, and Karis family, our Marines and sailors at Camp Pendleton, and all those who serve in our armed forces. You may add names of those that you are praying for. Draw our hearts to remember the poor and the broken. And as we receive the body and blood of Jesus, may we be transformed to become the body of Christ to the world. Have mercy on us all. Make us worthy to share eternal life with the apostles and martyrs, all the saints that have gone before us. May we praise you in union with them and give you glory through your Son, Jesus Christ. By him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty God and Father now and forever. Amen. Jesus taught us to call God our Father, and we have courage to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah, Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. (coughs) Hallelujah. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. Grant us thy peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you and feed on them in your heart with thanksgiving. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb.
bring them all out. You know, the Lord, uh, I, I really believe uh, he rewards people. I know Jesse does too. And uh, he's able to do beyond what we can even hope for or imagine. And so I'm just praying that uh, he answers your dreams Give your heart's desire, Lord, because of their faithfulness. Lord, we just uh, release Katie on a very temporary basis. <laughs> and we instruct her, Lord, to uh, really enjoy this time. She brings forth new life. We're just so very, very excited to have the privilege to go through this with her in our own way. Lord, just uh, continue to pour out anointing in each of their lives. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we we just covenant to pray uh, continually for them because uh, as any of these girls will tell you, when, when you lead anything, there's a burden that it puts upon you and you can feel the weight on your shoulders and that's not what uh, we're trying to do is put more weight on, but uh, we're trying to, uh, Lord, uh, just cause them to come forth in their full anointings. And so you just be with them, and we promise we'll be with them, Lord, and we'll watch over them. I just thought that God said this is a time of fulfilled promises for the three of you, that you've been believing God for so long for the promises to come forth, and this is the season of fulfilled promises. Amen. Okay. Micah, Micah. Micah, come on down here. <laughs> <laughs> I, particularly your first child, you better pray for the husband. Everything is going to be new. Amen. And it's going to be exciting. And it all times, some will be tougher than others. Just remember that the, the, it's the grace of God that uh, new life comes and the, the blessing that's rolled up in it. And just thank the Lord every day for what he's doing to build the family. The family. I just have such a witness to that word about it being exciting. I was just joking with Jesse up there earlier, but I feel like it's from the Lord. I was so excited to come into the Lord's presence through that tunnel there this morning Amen. with them playing and just Amen. got me just excited to be on this team. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you, so yeah. I just I, I, I think that excitement, that word is for you guys. Amen. And just pour that excitement out. Amen. So exciting. Amen. What a great time. Amen. It's a blessing. Amen. <laughs> Micah, I believe that God is leading you into a new chapter, obviously with baby, but but he's going to give you words and wisdom into your family's life. It's going to unlock a lot of things that you guys have never seen. 
maybe you would never know would exist in your lives. And it's going to bring great fruit and great blessing. And just hear God and press in, just like we did. That veil is very thin, and God's going to just open your eyes. He's going to open your heart, and he's going to draw you two closer and closer together and tighter and tighter together, and you'll have great fruit from your family, and you'll see things that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's so funny, but understanding the, how you write a book, and, and uh, so what what they've done, they've had the, the preface and the forward mm. and the introduction, and now we're going to chapter one. Amen. <laughs> Let it be. And that's where the meat that's where the meat of the book is. Good word. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's where the whole of the life is lived in the chapters. And you guys think you've had a good, great so far. Now God's getting ready to really, really, really pour into your lives and use you. Amen. 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 Let us pray. Did we pray that? No. Oh, good. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in the battle and be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who wander through the world seeking the ruin of our souls. Remember the gospel, God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he loves us, he's forgiven us, he's not mad at us, and he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen.
still talk.